When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, APGov, welcome to the first review for the first test of the fall of 2022. So this uh, review, I gave you hard copy in class on Wednesday, the 31st. It's also uh, a digital version on eClass. It's a Google Doc if you prefer to have that. Um, but I'm going to run through uh, everything. You can always um, you know, email me, text me via talking points. Uh, reach out on the social media stuff um, if you have questions about any of this stuff uh, and need me to help you with it, okay? So let's get rolling. So first off is James Madison. Now, James Madison himself, there's not a question on the test. There's not going to be something like, who is James Madison or, or whatever, but his writing is. And so Fed 10 is the big one uh, for this test. Um, so there's two points I need you to know for Fed 10. So overall, remember first off that the Federalist Papers were written in order to support the Constitution. So, you know, here's this new document, this new form of government, and we need support because not everybody was on board with the new Constitution. So that's where this starts. So the first thing that Madison is going to write about is the fact uh, that factions are inevitable. They are going to happen. And he is worried about factions happening at the state level because... His concern, which ties into the second point, is that a majority of people from whatever group, whatever faction, could take over and get control in the states, and then they could run things and they could completely ignore the minority. And that's the second point we're going to worry about. Okay, So he is writing about all these problems that could potentially happen because these factions, these groups are going to happen. And his argument is that, guess what the best way to control these factions is, is to have a large republic with a strong central government. And so that's how all that is tied together. So that's the first point. The second point was about the majority versus the minority. He was concerned that the majority, like we said, could happen in the small states of small republics, was that the majority could take over and can completely ignore what the minority needed, wanted. Um, and that was a problem. For him, and so he writes about the fee, his fear of the the tyranny of the majority. Okay, now some of that's based on the fact that he was concerned that one day the common person was going to become the majority and would completely ignore and uh, you know do stuff that didn't help the the minority, which was the the wealthy elite, which he was a part of. Okay, so that's Fed Ten. Uh, next up is impeachment. Now. Uh, if you take nothing else from this class, please, 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 please understand that impeachment is not being kicked out of office. It is just you've been charged. Okay. There are three things that can get you charged uh, with impeachment. First, or uh, let me reset that for just a second. There's three things you can do that can get you impeached. Alrighty. And this is for the president and for federal judges. First off is commit treason. Second off is bribery. And the third one is the big one, which has been used in the, the impeachments of our presidents is high crimes and misdemeanors. And that is whatever 
the Congress, specifically the House, wants it to be. Uh, we, we, we said uh, you could literally name any crime, and that could be considered a high crime and misdemeanor. So that's what has gotten people in trouble, uh, is the crimes they have committed, and then the House has deemed those to be high crimes and misdemeanors, and they've impeached. So what's the process? Okay, First off, you get impeached by the House. So you've done something wrong as the president or a federal judge, and the House says that's a problem. And so they draw up articles of impeachment, which is going to, to lay out and define what you have done wrong and kind of present their evidence for the most part. And then it will go to a vote. A simple majority of the House says, yes, that's an impeachable offense. You're impeached. Okay. Uh, once that majority vote happens, you have been impeached. It then goes to the Senate. The Senate will hold a trial and there two thirds of the Senate is needed to kick you out. And so, like I said, we've never had a president kicked out. We've had several impeached, but never one kicked out. We've had some judges kicked out of office, though. Uh, federalism, that is the uh, ability of the federal and state governments to share power. So we have to listen to both of them. And remember, they do share some powers over us, uh, the taxing and stuff like that. Uh, so under this system, the states kind of want to do their own thing. However, the federal government does try to control them, and they try to control the states by giving them money, okay? It, it, and that, you know, it's, it's not like bribery or something like that, but it's, it's an encouragement to, to do things. Uh, and it comes in two forms, categorical and block grants. Um, so categorical, this is the one the states do not like. This is the one where there's strings attached. So you get this money, but it's got to be spent here, and if you don't spend it there, uh, you lose it. Okay, uh, and it's got to be spent in this way. Or here's a policy we want you to complete and do or enforce or whatever. And if you don't do it, you're going to lose money uh, in this thing over here. So, uh, you know, we want you to do this. Here's the carrot. Here's the incentive, which is the money. And we've talked about it just a ton now. So I, I kind of hate talking about it more, but the, the drinking age, right? Here's the drinking age we want as the federal government. If you do it, you get this road money. If you don't, we take it away. Now, block grants is the money that, that states like and enjoy. Uh, it's not free money. You know, people get tripped up and they want to say, well, this is money they get to, to do whatever they want with. But that's not the case, okay? It is money, and it has to be spent in the programs that it's kind of designated for, but it's a lot more wide open. So here's the money for education. You can buy technology with it. You can hire more staff. You can build new schools, whatever you want to do with this education money, but it's got to be spent in education. Here's money for... Uh, infrastructure. Well, infrastructure could be roads, bridges, sidewalks, canals, whatever we need to do, but it's got to be spent in that infrastructure area, okay? But it is a little bit more leeway for the states. All right, dual versus cooperative federalism. So uh, it's the layer cake versus the marble cake, and I think everybody had a pretty good grasp of this, but uh, the dual, that's where the states and the federal government stays in their own lanes, their own areas, their own spheres, and uh, they don't mess with each other, okay? The example from the PowerPoint was um, the military for the national government and the education for the states. Uh, they don't mess with each other in those areas. The cooperative federalism, uh, this is where there's a blending, all right? And it's not really messing with each other, but they work together to get stuff done. Um, the uh, law enforcement is a good example of this, okay? The FBI doesn't come in all the time, but they will come in when needed and when requested by local uh, 
police and they'll help and they'll assist and it's you know it's seamless they just come in and they work together all right there's nobody trying to bully each other like the movies make it out to be and things like that so dual that's where they stay in their lane uh cooperative that's where they mix and blend all right the amendment process so the amendment process remember um we have <clears throat> two steps one at the national level one at the state and so within those two steps there's two ways to get it done the first step is a proposal the second step is ratification so the first step in order to get approved excuse me to get um yes approved someone in congress whether it be on the house side or the senate side has to make a amendment proposal okay or we could also have a national convention where we get together all the states and delegates from the states and they they have votes all right we've only ever done the congress because they're pretty much a national convention and they're already in place anyways um <clears throat> so i stand up and i make a proposal that we pick a time we get rid of the whole switching of times in the fall and the spring and we just pick one time and we stick with it so that's my amendment proposal if two-thirds of Congress, so House and the Senate, that's 435 and 100, that's 535. So if two-thirds of congressional members say yes, then that amendment has been proposed. It then goes to the states for uh, ratification, okay? So when we do the ratification, it can be either state legislatures or state conventions. Uh, it would go to all 50 of the state legislatures, so... Uh, down in Atlanta, they would talk about it, debate about it, and then vote on it. If the, enough of them say yes, then that would be a yes from Georgia, okay? We need 38 or three-fourths of the states to say yes for it to be signed. So two-thirds of Congress has to approve it uh, and propose and approve it, and then three-fourths of the states have to sign off on it. All right, weaknesses of the articles and then how the Constitution addressed those weaknesses. So first off, the question, uh, just so you're not confused, there is going to be several of these questions where you get a table, okay, and there's going to be three columns. The first column is going to be A, B, C, D. The next two columns will be uh, the whatever the topic is, okay. For the, for the weaknesses, it's going to be one column with the weaknesses of the articles. The second column is going to be how the Constitution addressed those weaknesses. And then... A will have its answers, B will have its, so on and so forth. You have to pick out the correct row that has the correct answers. So, for example, one of the weaknesses of the articles was no military. Okay? If that is under, in row A, under the weaknesses of the articles, and then under the constitutional fixes, it says Commerce Clause, well, that's not right. That's incorrect. So, that match is not right. So, you would not pick A, obviously. All right? So, that's how it's going to be set up. So the weaknesses, and remember, we got these from the federal negative, the case study that we did. And um, just need to remember, uh, you took notes on this stuff uh, as we talked about it. And um, the weaknesses that we came up with was, first off, no military, no taxes, uh, no ability to control commerce, both at home and, and foreign. Uh, it took 9 out of 13 states to, to make a, a law. It took 13 out of 13 to amend the articles. There's no executive, there's no judicial, and there's no control of the currency. Okay, uh, I'm not going to go into a great deal of detail about all of those just because I'm limited on time in the podcast. If you have questions specifically geared toward those, please let me know. Alrighty. And then the Constitution tried to fix those. Uh, for example, the military 
by giving Congress the power to have a standing military. The no taxing thing, well, it gave Congress the right to tax. Okay, the big thing to remember here is that all these weaknesses, most of the weaknesses, were try they they attempted to fix. Remember that was the whole thing that we did, and kind of the whole point we made about the the federal negative case study was the fact that. Pardon the Sorry. Paraprofessionals, your meeting is about to start in room one point four zero nine. Paraprofessionals, your meeting starts in just a moment in one point four zero nine. Thank you. The joys of recording after school. I had this recorded during fourth period, but my audio would not upload, so I got very angry. And now I'm having to record now, and then you have announcements and bells and just all kinds of stuff. So anyways, I apologize. Uh, but the point I was trying to make was um, the federal negative. You know, We listed out, hey, the, these were the problems with the Articles of Confederation, and then we talked about how Madison tried to fix them with the weaknesses. Uh, and so most of them had a fix in the Constitution. Just remember, though, the articles uh, at the heart of it, the articles gave Congress and the, the government responsibilities and then no power to actually follow through with those. Hey, you're gonna take on this debt, but you can't tax. Hey, you're responsible for foreign relations, but you can't do anything to stop the states from making deals. Uh, you're supposed to protect the country, but you don't have a military, all right? Okay, Federalist versus Anti-Federalist, pretty simple. That is a strong central government was uh, in favor uh, with the Federalists. The Anti-Federalists were for the weak central government and strong states, so they would have been fine going back to the AOC. Uh, the Republic, representative democracy, uh, they used to try and differentiate, but these are, they're pretty much the same thing nowadays. Remember, we do not have a participatory democracy. There's no way for all of us to participate in the, the government. There's just, it's, it would be impossible. We, you really need to have small, small towns and villages to have a participatory democracy. So instead, for our Republic slash representative democracy, we elect people to go make decisions for us. So the legislative decisions are made by our elected officials. All right, the separation of powers and the checks and balances. So first off, separation of powers. Remember, this is an idea, a concept from Montesquieu, one of those English philosophers. He had come along in a time when kings and queens, the monarchy, would make rules, judge the rules, and enforce rules all in the same day. And he said and wrote that that's not right. Now, obviously, there was a little more detail than what I just said, but at the heart of it, that's the, the idea. No one person should have all those powers. And so that's why Madison is going to break up our government and have the executive branch, the legislative branch, and the judicial branch. Um, so the checks and balances, that is the stuff that allows each branch to kind of maintain some control, uh, some kind of authority over the other branches so that they can't get too big, too strong, too powerful. And so, uh, for example, you know, the president can veto laws that Congress passes. Congress can override those vetoes. The president and federal judges can be impeached. The federal judges can declare laws of uh, Congress unconstitutional. So they have these powers over each other. We did, we did a little bit of this in class. It was one of the warm-ups, so if you're questioning yourself there, Go back to the uh, to that document. All right, the powers, the delegated powers. Those are powers that are listed in the Constitution, and they are for the federal government. So if you see delegated powers, just know, hey, that's stuff the federal government can do. Uh, implied powers. Those are those powers that come from the delegated powers, but they're not listed in the Constitution. So it says this in the Constitution that we can do, but it doesn't say specifically we can do that. Uh, one of my favorite examples is Jefferson with the Louisiana Purchase. You know, he was a strict constructionist. If it's not the Constitution, can't do it. Well, then all of a sudden he has this chance to buy this property, and it doesn't say in the Constitution that the president or the government itself can actually expand and do all this. And so he had to, to use the implied powers. He had to become a loose constructionist. 
Reserve powers are those left to the state. Uh, as long as it's not specifically denied in the Constitution to the, the, the states by saying the states can't do this or by delegating it to the federal government, then it's left to the states. Concurrent powers are just powers shared by the, the feds and the, um, the states. Okay, so like the ability to steal from, I mean, tax us, uh, both state and federal government can do that. The Tenth Amendment, this is what gives uh, the reserve powers to the states. This is what specifically says what we said the reserve powers are. It says that as long as it's not specifically denied or given to the federal government, then it's left to the states. Okay? Uh, the Constitutional Convention compromises, Great Connecticut, I call it the Great, some places call it the Connecticut it's the great compromise, okay? Uh, anyways, this is what combined the Virginia and New Jersey plan. Remember, they had decided on a two-house legislature. That part was pretty easy, okay? But then the, the question arose, well, how are we going to, to have representation? And, of course, the large states were, well, let's do it by population. And so they were all pumped up about that because they were going to have all the power, all the authority. And so the little states said, no, that's not fair, and they wanted to have equality. So that's where the problem comes from. They settled on making the House of Representatives be based on population. So the more people you are uh, in, the, in, the, in the state, the more representation you have. I think the largest is California with 53, all the way down to a lot of states only have one because they have so few people. And then the Senate is equal. So everybody has two. The three-fifths compromise, this deals with uh, the slave population. So uh, population was going to count for representation and taxes. South wanted the slave population to count for representation, but not for taxes. North wanted the slave population to count for taxes and not representation. So that was the problem. Uh, they eventually uh, decided to count three-fifths of the slave population for both. All right. And then finally is the Commerce Clause. Uh, excuse me, not the clause, but the, co the Commerce Compromise. Uh, this was the South had a problem with the federal government having the ability to control tariffs and importation and things like that. Okay, the problem was the North needed tariffs because they were competing with goods coming into the country. All right, the South bought most of their goods from other places, and so they were buying goods from the the foreign foreign countries. And so when they got tariffed, those goods went up in price. So they were worried about that. Plus, they didn't want the federal government to control the slave trade. Uh, the decision was made that the, the government would not mess with the slave trade for 20 years. 1808 was when they could finally start uh, doing, uh, regulating it, okay? Theories of democracy, we did this long, 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 long time ago, but the pluralist, that is the groups all competing for the, the federal government's attention. Uh, it's kind of a good thing for us because it gives us a voice. You know, we don't always have um, the ability to, to reach out to our Congress people and president and things like that, but maybe some of these groups do. And then the elite democracy, that's just where uh, we are ran by a few small groups of people, almost like an oligarchy to an extent. All right, the amendments. So I love the amendments. I love talking about the first 10 amendments. Uh, it's just interesting to me and all the court cases that go with it. Uh, we could have a 150-question test on the first 10 amendments. However, I did limit myself. I limited myself to the first amendment, and the freedom of religion, so the two clauses. So let's do those first. So uh, the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause. The Establishment Clause says that there will not be a state-sponsored religion. So the government is not going to have a religion, and you're not going to be forced to go to it. So no First Church of America or the Church of Georgia or anything like that that you're forced to go to. Okay. It also says that um, they will not make rules and laws that favor one religion over the other. Okay, so those are the two parts of the Establishment Clause, but concentrate on the first one. That's also where the separation of church and state comes from. And uh, while we don't 
you know, there's no prayer in school and things like that, at least like teacher-led or administrator-led. Like if you want to pray before the test, go ahead. But don't ask me, hey, Coach Daniels, will you hold my hand and pray with me? Nope, not going to do it. All righty. Uh, and then the free exercise clause just allows you to worship how you want to. So you worship as you please. All right, so then there's a question on the Tenth Amendment, which we've already gone over. And then you've got the Fourth, Fifth, Sixth, and Eighth. Okay, and these all are kind of conglomerated into one question. You just need to remember that they all deal with your rights as an accused person. Okay, from the time you're a suspect, they cannot search and seize you without uh, your consent or a warrant. You cannot be forced to testify against yourself nor answer questions by the police. With the Fifth Amendment, Sixth Amendment is your right to a fair trial. Seventh Amendment is your right under uh, to a jury in a civil trial. And then the Eighth Amendment is the, the freedom from cruel and unusual punishment, okay? All those things uh, affect you as an accused person. So you have rights from the time you're a suspect all the way through your incarceration, okay? And once again, it's they're all together. All right, uh, getting close to being done here. So McCullough versus Maryland and Lopez versus U.S. or U.S. versus Lopez. Uh, these are the two required cases from this unit. You need to be sure you know them and understand them. McCullough versus Maryland is one from U.S. history, and it deals with the Bank of the United States, Okay. Uh, so the, the problem here was that not all states agreed that Congress could create a bank in the United States. And so Maryland had decided we're going to tax this bank out of existence. And so that's what they set out to do. And so that's what triggered the court case. Now, the court had to answer two questions, and I, this is where you need to really understand. So they had to answer, first off, the question, does Congress have the power and the ability to create this bank in the United States? And the second one was, can a state tax a federal entity? All right, because the Bank of the United States was a federal thing. And so they used two of our clauses. They used the Necessary and Proper Clause and the Supremacy Clause to answer those questions. So the first one, does Congress have the power and ability to create this bank? Yes, based on the Necessary and Proper Clause, they do, because it allows Congress to stretch their powers. And even though it doesn't say anything about a bank and the creation of a bank in the Constitution, it is assumed that because the Congress controls commerce, that they can create a bank. So necessary and proper clause got verified. The second question about the taxes, can a state tax a federal institution? No, they cannot. Supremacy clause. So they use the supremacy clause here because uh, the states rank lower than the federal government under the supremacy clause. You can't tax them. Okay. Now, I need you to really understand how important this case was. Because think of the timing of it. It was right close to the beginning of our country, 1819. And the states, in this case, were trying to revert back to what happened under the Articles, where they just kind of did what they wanted to, and they could bully the federal government. Had this case, first off, not happened, then it, uh, we could have went right back down the, the, the rabbit hole of the AOC where the states just did whatever they wanted to. Or if the courts had ruled against the federal government here, well, that just opens up a can of worms where the, the states can run wild and do whatever they want to because then there's no necessary and proper clause and there's no supremacy clause. So this case is very vital to our creation as a country and the backing up of our, our document and our federal government. All right. U.S. versus Lopez, uh, this deals with the Commerce Clause. So the uh, young man, Lopez, well, he was young at the time, uh, had brought a gun to school. He was, a, he was 18 and a senior. He brought a gun to school and got caught and was facing state charges. The federal government decided they wanted to come in and make charges as well. 
under the Gun-Free School Zone Act. So they uh, came in and they charged him under Gun-Free under the, the gun-free school zone. So Lopez is going to fight the federal charges. His, his argument was the Commerce Clause has nothing to do with this situation, and you shouldn't be allowed to come in and charge me. So he's fighting the federal charges. And the Supreme Court is going to agree with Lopez, and they're going to kick the federal government out of this case. And they're going to say, you're overreaching, you're overstepping with the Commerce Clause. Okay? There's no reason that states, I mean, excuse me, that schools uh, affect interstate commerce like you're saying they do. Okay, now think back to the FRQ we did as a warm-up where we looked at California, uh, the California marijuana stuff. In that situation, they talked about the, the marijuana in California leading to a national market. Okay, that's viable. People could go to California and they could buy the medical marijuana, they could take it back to places and they could sell it. That's interstate. That is, is the definition of interstate where people are taking stuff from one state and going to the next. This single gun in this single city in the single school, it's not going to create some national crisis of gun violence. Okay, so Lopez versus U.S. was a hit to the the Supreme to the uh, federal government and kicked him out, and it reduced some of their power under the Commerce Clause. All right, Brutus. This was the uh, argument against the Federalist Papers. So it was the the anti-Federalist count, counter argument, and it was just writing about the concerns of individual rights and how they were not addressed whatsoever under the new Constitution. All right, the Commerce Clause, we've talked about a little bit, but just remember uh, that is what gave uh, Congress sole control over interstate commerce, okay? It said the only people that could control interstate commerce and foreign commerce, or foreign trade, excuse me, uh, was the federal government, specifically Congress. The Supremacy Clause we've gone over, that is what gives the federal government the uh, ability to control the states. They are Number two on the list, the Constitution being number one. The Necessary and Proper Clause is what allows Congress to stretch their powers. That's sometimes called the Elastic Clause. As long as they are operating within their delegated powers, they are allowed to do things that are somewhat outside of those. So they can kind of color outside the lines. And then finally, de-evolution. De-evolution, that is an idea. Uh, Reagan's kind of given credit for it, but it's an idea that had been around for a while. But we need to remember that the, the federal government took a lot of responsibility on during the Great Depression and with the New Deal and all that kind of stuff. And so a lot of politicians had said the government's too big. The government's too big. And the evolution is just the idea, let, let's finally do something about it. Let's take some of the responsibilities that the federal government took on during the Great Depression, during the New Deal, and let's give them back to the states because they're the state responsibilities. Okay. Uh, so that all de-evolution is, is taking some things away from the federal government and giving it back to the states, all right. Uh, you know, and whether you agree with Roe versus Wade being overturned or not, uh, it's kind of a version of the evolution in that hey, Roe versus Wade created this federal policy or this national policy, excuse me, and then the overturning of it turned the decision about abortion back to the states. I mean, it's a little bit of a stretch, but just think about how we're using the necessary and proper clause there to, to stretch that out a little bit. Okay. All right, guys, if you have questions, concerns, anything about the test, uh, let me know. Email me. My emails are on eClass. Uh, talking point, text me. Uh, I'll respond to that as quick as I can. You can reach out on social media. Uh, I'll respond there as well. I'll get your questions answered as fast as I can. All right, guys, best of luck on the test, and I'll see you in class on Thursday the 1st. Take care. Bye-bye.